Let's get into the sermon. Amen? Cool. Father, pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience, Father. Hearts just posture before you with fertile soil. I ask that you would move in us today, that you would cultivate brokenness and passion and zeal and understanding of who you are. Jesus name. Amen. All right. So we are working through the book of Acts as you guys are aware. But I wanted to thank um, Mark. I was going to say Pastor Mark and I might as well continue to say it. I was going to thank Pastor Mark Miller for encouraging us in Acts chapter 13. And one of the things that I, um, to keep people accountable, um, sometimes it can be patronizing, but the um, people will come up to me throughout the congregation and they will say, good sermon today. And then I say, what do you like about it? And then they go, oh, so you just felt something, but you, I don't know if you were listening or not. So what I decided to do is anyone who comes up and tells me good sermon, I just like to ask them one thing that stuck out to them. So I wanted to do the same, just not to say, good job, Mark, good job, Johnny, good job, um, where is he, John, wherever he is. So Mark, thank you for encouraging us. The one thing that, uh, just one of many in all sermons, the one thing that really stuck out to me was sacrifice is still required within the church. You encouraged us that uh, we need to con consider fasting and what that looks like, and um, I think that's a great reminder that everything's not easy, but it does require sacrifice, so thank you. And John, don't see him right now, but I know he was just in here. I was reminded and just encouraged that um, living a life that God calls us to live as a disciple, we are his disciples, and there's such a life that um, we are called to live in that, and that he, uh, he spoke out of Acts chapter 14. And then uh, Johnny last week shared about the season that he's been in over the past couple years. And I uh, wanted to thank you for sharing about how God is creating godly character in the times that, are we, that we are completely out-resourced. That was a really good uh, encouragement and message to us last week. That when we just don't have enough, God is. So um, that doesn't happen just like that, but it happens in the times that are really hard. So there's encouragement in the times that are really hard. So today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're not going to open it up and read it quite yet, but you can at least put your thumb there. First off, what I wanted to say is, I am amazed by how quickly humans' hearts can jump on someone when they make a mistake or disagree. You ever recognize that about you? Someone does something wrong, or you disagree with them, you can just hop on that train real quick to start talking about them, right? Anyone? We're a participating church. It's just like, I'm going to talk to Macy about how wrong they were. Or Macy, Macy doesn't talk bad about anyone. I'm going to, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to talk about it. And I just hop on them, and, and I just keep on Digging and digging and digging and digging. And this nation is so divided. Our communities are so divided. Families are divided. 
You guys heard about my truck getting redented last week and um, just trusted the Lord. I trusted God. I trusted um, that he was going to make it right. So I took it to a dealer or a auto body shop to get a quote, right? And the guy said, you know what? I just want to fix it for you. So this guy just fixed it for us right there. Pulled out the dent, fixed everything. And while we're sitting in the office, he started to talk about how his, his mother has dementia and how that breaks his heart. Out of nowhere, he just starts sharing this. And then how he hasn't talked to his sister in five years because of division within the family. And his brother how mad he is at his brother and they don't talk and just division and division and frustration and disagreements. Families are divided, right? Our nation is divided over disagreements, over preferences, over priorities, over thinking that we have everything right. All Christians are going to have disagreements or division at some point. Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to. Some disagreements are over fleshly things. Like some people still want to argue to me that Michigan is not a basketball school. It is. It's not a football school. Michigan is a basketball school. So we get in disagreements over fleshly arguments. Other, other things we get in disagreements about because we really care about it. Some disagreements are biblical, some are non-biblical. I see church, churches, families, friendships, and marriages being destroyed through disagreements. And one of the greatest ways to make a place ineffective and a family ineffective is to create division through disagreement. And there's a way to work through disagreement, right? And what we're getting ready to see in Acts chapter 15 is a church walk through disagreement. And guess how they did it? They didn't give an opinion. They gave facts of who Jesus was. They didn't give feelings, but they responded with truth. Imagine if with every disagreement that you ever had with someone that you responded with some kind of truth out of the word. Now, I'm not trying to be cliche, like you just start quoting scripture when someone argues with you about something, right? But you have the backing of the Bible. So, like, the Bible didn't tell me to marry Macy. Like, I couldn't turn to a specific chapter and it say in 1 John whatever. Joey Brown of Mechanicsburg is to marry Macy Brown of, or Macy Brown. That that would kind of be weird, wouldn't it? (laughs) Y'all people from, West Liberty people are like, I told y'all people from Mechanicsburg are weird marrying in your sisters. (laughs) Macy Wallen of Mechanicsburg. It, 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 It never said that. But you know what it did say? Is it talked about godly character in a woman that a man should pursue if he's pursuing a godly life. See, 
Scripture doesn't talk about how to discipline your kid, or Scripture doesn't explicitly tell you how to deal with every situation with your kids, does it? But it does talk about godly character. It does talk about leading and guiding. It does talk about setting an example of devotion unto God, right? So it never said when your kid is on Facebook at three in the morning, what to do because your kid's three and you didn't even know that they could create a Facebook account. And they're talking to Larry from California who looks like he was dating his sister. And you're like, I thought I told you not to be on here. See, the enemy is always trying to destroy the church. And maybe it isn't even the enemy. Maybe sometimes it's just the church allowing the church to be destroyed because of a preference. But what I want to say is there's, there's protection for us when we respond with the Bible. So here in Acts chapter 15, we are going to see that Paul and Barnabas hear of false doctrine being preached. So out of love for God and the church, they want to discuss it and set it straight. In this chapter, there are people who believe in God, yet they have, false, have a false doctrine of works, and someone had to set them straight. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. I'm finally going to read it. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through, um, oh my gosh, Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So the book of Acts has been, the areas that we've touched is God is establishing his church, right? So we had the day of Pentecost, and then we had some persecution, and now the church is expanding throughout um, the surrounding areas. Uh, there, there was a martyr, you know, Stephen. And we begin to see how God is furthering his word throughout the church. So then we have uh, Peter preaching. We have Paul now, who's now converted, who was saved. And Barnabas, right? So we see them now preaching the word, and that's where we find ourselves, the gospels being preached, but then other people are trying to add their opinions to what they think the true gospel is. So right before this scripture here in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas returned, uh, returned from Antioch, or to Antioch, sorry. There was great rejoicing 
because the Gentiles were being saved. You guys remember, you had the Jews, and the Jews were like God's chosen people. The Jews just assumed that they couldn't ever do wrong and that they would follow the law, and the Gentiles were everyone else. And they didn't think, or Jews didn't think that Gentiles could really associate with God. And God's changing that fact, and he did it earlier in uh, Acts where he said, look, Jesus died for everyone, but now that's needing to be rehashed here in chapter 15. So Paul returned, or Paul and Barnabas returned from their first missionary um, journey. They discovered the message of Christ appealed to the Gentiles because it was free salvation to anyone who believes. It wasn't follow this rule or follow that rule. It was free. It was Jesus plus nothing. Yet the Jews had a hard time with the Gentiles being welcomed into the church and promised heaven without having to keep the law or being circumcised. I think about that sometimes. How many rules do I put on other people to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And I even think about like what it'll be like as a parent. How many rules might I put on them? Or how many rules were put on us? Nevertheless, these people who were talking about these rules, right, that, that, that you had to follow, they were known as Judaizers. They taught um, grace plus works equaled eternal life. So God's grace forgives you, but in addition to God's grace, you also have to follow the Mosaic law. And if you don't follow the Mosaic law, we can't welcome you in, or you're not going to be saved. This is not what Paul and Barnabas were teaching. They couldn't, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, they couldn't let go of their own interpretation of the Mosaic law. God had given them his covenant in the Old Testament, and there were many rigid rules and regulations. Now, I want to be clear um, in this message. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't. Just, you won't. And the law was there for us to follow. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying to say that the law is not important. The law was there because God desires us to obey his commands, right? But as much um, as the law was there, I believe that the law was there to really reveal to us that we need a Savior, right? God never intended for, based upon the way that I read Scripture, God never intended for us to be perfect through our acts, through how good we were. The law was there to reveal to you and to reveal to me that I need Jesus. So then it becomes about all who he is and nothing about who I am. See, if it can be about how good I am or if I can earn my way to heaven through works and being good, then that's all about me. Nothing to do with who Jesus is. Nothing to do with who God is. The law was there to reveal to us our need for him. So likely out of good intentions, these Pharisees and Judaizers resisted what Paul and Barnabas were teaching. 
Good intentions don't always mean fruit or truth, right? You learn that really quickly the older you get. So, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, used to be a Pharisee himself. You guys remember that story as we went through it? But now he's a born-again believer. So he understood Pharisee thinking. He understood their thought process. He understood their values. He understood um, the way of life. So when he and Barnabas taught, um, they probably knew a little bit how to tune that message. They taught faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. By faith, by grace, through Christ alone. So maybe today you're thinking what you would like to do is go, go do good. And the good that you want to do to earn God to love you more is to go out and get a box and send it to Zimbabwe, wherever we're sending them. Operation Christmas Child Box. That doesn't earn you anything um, better standing with Christ. Now, someone surrendered. I'm just not going to go there because that's going to lead us down another, another path. So, so here's what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. Acts 13, 38 through 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That's the message they were preaching. Paul taught that if the Gentiles believed in Jesus, they could be forgiven from their sins without keeping the law of Moses. The Pharisees honestly believed that you had to keep the law of Moses to be saved passion. Pharisees were educated. They knew the word. They appeared to have passion. They talked about how much they would fast and when they would fast. Passion is not enough when you pair it up with truth. I don't care how passionate you appear. If there's not truth there, what does it really matter? They brought the message to Antioch that if you wanted to be saved, you first had to be a Jewish person. This is the Pharisees. Which then meant you followed their rules and their regulations. They were basically saying, I'm good with Gentiles coming to Christ, but they first must come through the law of Moses. Not the case. For how many people does the church talk to where they say, I'm going to come to Christ after I quit smoking cigarettes. I'm going to come to Christ after I quit cussing. I'm going to come to Christ once I stop fornicating. And what I understand is you come to Christ and let him work the rest out. Right? This wasn't you follow the rules and then you're welcome into the kingdom. It was by faith come to Christ because you can't follow the rules. And because you can't follow the rules, 
believe and confess that he died on the cross and rose from the grave and that he's the only atonement for your sin. And as you do that, then you're welcomed in. That was it. But that wasn't what was being taught. That would be really hard for me. I would be at the altar every single week if it was about me keeping the rules. You know what? There's probably a thought that I've had while I don't have one specifically. (laughs) But there's probably a thought that I've had at church that's been a sin that would require me to go to the altar. Right? I, I can't earn it. Paul and Barnabas are trying to protect what's really truth. As God is establishing his church. Paul was even addressing this thinking um, when he talked to the church of Galatia. When he wrote to the, um, his letter to the Galatians, he also called them Judaizers. He called them troublemakers. You can look in Galatians 1 for that. But they were trying to mix law and grace. They were trying to add to the finished work of Christ. They were trying to make it harder for people to be saved. What we see here is that Paul and Barnabas cannot let this go unchecked because it is far from truth. And in this story, I begin to see a dichotomy taking place. One of which, you have Paul and Barnabas willing to stand for truth because they knew truth, right? The other was, you have a group of people who think that they know truth and are preaching it. Which one are you today? Do you know truth and you're preaching truth because you know the word? Or are you preaching what you think based upon what you have thoughts about the word? What I'm saying is Paul and Barnabas knew who Jesus was and they knew the word because they've committed to it. They've committed a life to Christ to have that understanding. And then there's other people who participate religiously within church ceremony and they only think that they know God's heart based upon what they think or hear once a week. I don't want to be that person who starts preaching, not understanding. I challenge you guys to understand what you're preaching, right? Truth. So as God is continuing to build his church There is more and more to be done. And if we want to be used, there must be an equipping with the right tools. I remember uh, Ron Corlew sharing about if we're going to dig a hole for a tree, just a little bush, you need a shovel, right? Just a little simple shovel. But if we're going to build a stadium, you're going to need different equipment. Therefore, as believers in Christ, if we want to see an abundance of harvest, why are we preparing as if we're just getting by the week? Why is God ever going to send thousands of people to our church if he knows that we haven't studied and read 
and we're not going to act rude to people and that we're going to love them where they are. Why would he ever send people here? So what I'm trying to say is this, is we can't just keep on using a small shovel and think that the only time that we get God is on Sunday morning. Sunday morning should never be our sole resource or encouragement or hope throughout the week. It can be, and I hope that it is a piece of it. But your independent relationship does not depend on me, does not depend on the elders. I get to play a role in that. And I thank you that that you guys trust us here to help guide you throughout the week, through small groups, through uh, serving opportunities, through coffee meetings or Chipotle meetings. Thank you for trusting us and loving us and being here that we can guide you on Sunday mornings. But we're not the sole piece. What, 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 what if we can't ever meet as a church again? What if 2020 comes in all the fears of who it might be and just day one they say no more religious freedom or take it all. And then you don't have the church anymore. There has to be this training and equipping in God's word and in in his presence to pursue him with a relationship other than just this moment. And that requires sacrifice. And I think of our brother in Africa right now who he's just seeking. And he said, Joey, we're, we're not lukewarm. Our lives are just about God. He could be lying, but he got me convicted. He was preaching to me. We can only go as far as we're equipped, I believe. God does, I mean, God does abundantly more. But are we equipped enough in the word to be able to stand up when we hear heresy? Are we equipped in the word to be able to basically disciple someone and teach them the way of the Lord. Either way, there are many things in the kingdom that will require work. Like the boxes we're going to fill today. But the work isn't what graces us to heaven. In high school, when competing in sports, You know, you have all these sins that you worry about, disobedient to parents, cheating on your homework. Man, I would pray that I wouldn't have a test the same day of a track meet. (laughs) Because then it's like, I know I'm going to cheat on this test, which then means that God's going to punish me. (laughs) And then then he's going to be mad at me, and then I'm not going to perform well at the track meet. So what do I want to do? You know what? I'm just going to half cheat. I'm just going to get enough answers to pass. Well, you have cheat because you only take 25 of the answers, not all 50. And then you just guess on the rest. But there was this sense that I had to earn, I had to earn God's blessing in the aspect of athletics. How poor of an understanding that I thought of God. Should I have been cheating? No. Have there been consequences from that? Yeah, you you listen to me read every week. (laughs) There's consequences. Sin has consequences. (laughs) You get it. 
But, God, I believe that I could have cheated on that test, and if I still would have said, Jesus, I fall short, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this any longer, that if I would have died that day at a track meet, I'd be in paradise today. That's what they're trying to say is, look, you don't need to follow the, all these rules. It's not the rules that get you there. And we're going to find that out just here in a second. Verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So what he's saying is, Look, even the Gentiles, God was willing to give the Holy Spirit to them because he purified them by faith, not by their works. It wasn't about their skin color. It wasn't about who they were. It wasn't about Jew or Gentile. What it was about is Jesus came and the Gentiles, he was willing to give the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. Now then, since God was willing to give them the Holy Spirit as Gentiles as well, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Why are you putting a yoke on someone else that was not intended to be there? Why do you put on yourself a yoke that was not intended to be there? So they were being addressed that God came to save everyone, not just specifically the Jews. And then he asked the hard question, why do you test God and put something on Gentiles that God never intended? Because humans can't fix it anyways. I think this was him saying, why are you trying to make it hard for people to get saved? Why are you trying to make it hard for yourself to get saved? Why are you trying to make it hard for your brother or your sister or your family member or your coworker or your friend to get saved? I see a lot of Christians, don't you like that? This one's real high and this one's like down here. I wonder why you guys are looking at me like dogs all day. I see a lot of Christians in the world today. Some Christians make it so hard for others to be saved. Some people are so critical on you because you made a mistake. Because your heart's just not willing to give up the sin yet. Oh, you cheated. Oh, you lied. Those are not good things, and we are not telling you that they are acceptable and that God is pleased by them because he's not. Don't hear that. But why are we making it for harder for people? If you're making stupid decisions, 
why do I want to make it harder for you? Why don't I come alongside you and build you up to help you quit making those decisions? So if Jesus didn't intend for us to come to him, if God didn't uh, intend for us to come to him through works, then why are we as human requiring our friends and the people that we walk around to come to Christ through works? We do, don't we? Why do I require myself sometimes to come to Christ by works? It's not about your works. And I think of how messed up I was in high school thinking about how I needed to earn my way to God. People have to take the steps, right? They have to say the prayers. They have to do good. They have to be sinless. And Christians are judging people for not doing those things. We look at someone and, and we get in our nice little tight circles and we start talking about, can you believe? Or can you imagine? Or if you would just follow these steps, and I'm not saying steps within themselves are bad, but we're judging others for doing those things completely missing that we do them ourselves. It's like, how can you tell someone... There's a line here because there is accountability. But how can we be so critical on someone else, right? But yet we're doing the same thing. There has to be this place of, look, brother, please don't be doing this anymore. This is not good for us. Just a side note, it's uh, really freeing to me knowing that I can never be good enough. It's hard sometimes. I can never be good enough for every individual in this room. I'm never going to be a good enough preacher for everyone in this room. I'm never going to be a good enough husband, brother, friend, son, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. I'm never going to be a sister-in-law. <laughs> if I didn't remind you of that, you wouldn't even have laughed. Are you listening? But the way that I'm wiggling this hand up here today, I know you got some questions. God never intended for me or you to be good enough. So why do you keep on trying to be good enough? Now, here's what, I'm, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that when I fail in my marriage and I fall short of giving my life, surrendering my life unto my wife, when I fall short, I'm not saying that I'm not going to try to do better. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to try to become a better preacher and teacher and pastor and friend. But if the sole reason to do it is to think that God loves me more because I'm doing what my heart doesn't want to do, then I'm missing the point. I'm never going to be good enough to earn my way into heaven, and I'm never going to be good enough for you. And it's freeing to find this place where I can expect that people are going to be disappointed, frustrated, annoyed, and then kind, and gracious and encouraging all in one and say it's not about that. 
What it's about is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later because I would never be good enough. And because of that, Jesus, you are worth my praise. So here's where we stop today. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. That's not like just as we are in our sin. What that's saying is just as the Gentiles are. So just as the Gentiles were saved, you and I are saved as well. Amen? What I realized about my walk is this, is Jesus didn't require me to be good enough to be his son. Today, Jesus doesn't require you to be good enough either. But when I put my faith in him and repent, I became a new creation and he somehow lives inside of me. So I, uh, so I now know he continually helps me walk and make better decisions for him. I get to experience his freedom each day. I get to say I wrestle through not caring people's opinions. That's a scary place to be, right? But just trusting him. God, I trust you. So what's the description of what's happening within the few verses that we've read today? We see how division could take place in the um, early establishing of the church. So division was potentially going to take place pretty quickly because first we had the false teaching of the works gospel. So you had Pharisees teaching that the, fa the false gospel, right? Works, works, works. So that can create division because if within MCF we had this side preaching works and this side preaching grace, a house divided can't stand. So Satan's attack on the church, or just the church being human, in the early establishment, they were facing a problem. If Satan's attacking the church, it's going to be through division. So we should take note of this real quick in this description, that if, Christ, or if Satan wants to divide this church, it's probably going to be through division and opinions. Right? He's going to start faction here and faction there, and start sowing doubt and sowing leaven within the loaf. So we see that taking place within the church. But here's what we know about, about Christ, right? Nothing can stand against his church, right? His church will prevail. So what we see is the church has prevailed 2,000 years later. His church has prevailed the existence of it. The second one was the war between the church and the doctrinal issues causing bitterness, Bitterness can take root when you have disagreement. We can't allow that to take place. But that's what was happening. The leadership talked about it. The leadership walked in unity. And they decided to send Paul and Barnabas to address the core issue of a bad doctrine. It was reemphasized that it is by grace through faith. That it is Christ alone. That's what we saw today. So what's the prescription? What am I going to write for you? In our society, which hates absolutes, right? We should remember that truth is most important. 
I don't have to like the truth. I don't have to agree with the truth. But truth is most important. It's not dependent upon what I feel, what you feel, or what any of us want. But it's a reflection of who God is. Therefore, we must make this a priority. I can't imagine facing God one day and saying I didn't have time. I can't imagine facing God one day and saying I didn't have time. I didn't say serve the soup kitchen, but I didn't have time to have a service before bedtime with my family. I didn't have time to open up my Bibles this week and read it with my family. I didn't have time to talk to you this past month. I didn't have time to go to church. I didn't have time to listen to you. There's going to be a lot of people who face God. Say, but, but I was busy. And what does he say? Matthew 7. Clearly I told them, I never knew you. Away from me, I never knew you. Many churches are following empty philosophies of the world by not prioritizing truth. Then sitting in their own thoughts and feelings, and this is idolatry. We can certainly appreciate in this case both groups believed in God's word and wanted to be um, consistent with it. But please don't get caught uninformed, uninformed. The Bible has every answer you will ever, 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 ever need. Can I boldly say you're only as serious about your walk with Christ as the amount that you read the Bible and pray? I, I, I think I can. Strong statement. But how about this? I'm only as serious about my marriage as I'm willing, like, as as many days as I'm willing to be at home and support Macy. If all I ever did was live in the neighbor's house and never talk to her and never help her, am I really serious about my marriage? No. That's going to end badly. And I would be really messed up. Likewise, are we only as serious about our walk with Christ because our heart's deceitful. I've deceived myself about so many things about my character, about how much I love Jesus, about how good or bad of a leader I am. My heart is so deceitful that it's created this, this person in me that thinks that I'm just okay. But my actions, what comes out of, out of the Mouth overflows the heart. What comes out of me reveals to me what's going on. So my encouragement to you this week, yeah, sometimes you don't understand the context. Sometimes you don't understand the big story. Sometimes you don't, you're bored with it. But the best decision that you can make today is to love God, to pursue Him with everything that you have, and then if you wake up tomorrow, try to do the same. And if I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to try to do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that it's not about me being good. Thank you that I don't even have the opportunity to become good enough. 
Thank you that it's not a competition because no one can boast, Father. I pray that you would um, woo us and encourage us this week, Father, that we would say yes to you to open up our Bibles. Just one minute, Father, 30 seconds, three minutes, Father, of time with you. Thank you for your love and your grace. Protect us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.